Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from just outside New York City from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Here we go. The Premier League Preview Special Part 1. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? I'm excited, Andrew, but I'm not going to lie. I think this has come around really, really quickly and quicker than any other season before. It's on top of us. I'm excited about the start of the new season, but um, not so excited about a, a lot of the things I have to predict here. Is that literally true because of the midseason break for the World Cup? Is this literally happening quicker than it's happened before? Like, are they starting the season early? I feel like I should know this. Yes, they are. Yeah. But, I, but um, more than that, it is a feeling. And I think it's a feeling that has maybe because we do this all the time and we get paid every week to do this, that we we are jaded by the calendar of football. Um, jaded, but excited. Certainly excited. This is one of our favorite podcasts of the year hope rebirth renewal all those wonderful things uh they're all in the air right now everyone feels like they have a chance everyone's optimistic uh and so here we go we do this in two parts tonight we'll go through what are essentially our 10 big questions we'll answer those uh and then later this week we'll put out part two it's probably going to be out thursday sometime around midday or so and you're going to love it i should say first off uh it's kind of a three-parter within the second part. The first part is the mailbag special where whatever you feel like we didn't adequately cover tonight, whatever you want, if we didn't talk about your team enough, this is your chance. We go through and we take any number of questions from all of you to get you ready for the season. Then special guest, JJ, the new voice of the Premier League in the United States for NBC, Peter Drury, will join the podcast. I'm so excited about that. Uh, that's a that's a bucket list interview right there. So can't wait to talk to him. And then we'll close that out, part two out, with our predictions, which we always do. And we revisit later on. We do not let them disappear into the ether. They remain. And we remember them. And we judge ourselves by them. And we, as all we, you should as well. We are, when, when politicians say, I'm going to hold myself accountable, when coaches say, I'm going to hold myself accountable, they don't. We do. Oh, yeah. We call absolutely the, do. I mean, some people on the street call us the accountable twins. The accountability buddies. Oh, uh, but start start sending in your tweets or your emails now for the uh, the mailbag special because uh, we always love getting those. That's one of my one of my favorite podcasts of the year is that part specifically of like getting so we get a lot of good questions and we get so many random Premier League ones too, like questions from favorite things from the past or kits that we love, all that stuff. So I'm here for all of it. But it's up to you guys. You guys will help make that show. So uh, at CO Soccer Pod on Twitter, caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com, caughtoffside ESPN on Instagram. It's good that we have three completely different and separate handles for each one of our socials. It makes it very easy for the people. Um, this podcast, here we go. Ten questions. Before we start, I guess just like overarching feelings on the season. Obviously, like we said, super excited about it. Here's my big thing before we get to the questions even, JJ. And I wonder what you make of this. So whenever we do this preview podcast, we always give sort of like this blanket qualifier of, okay, we're going to give these thoughts and predictions, but there's still a transfer window open for another month or so. So things are going to happen that are going to alter the way we feel and all that stuff. And and that is still true. That remains. But for me, this season, as I was thinking about a lot of my thoughts on this season, there's something even bigger than that 
that I think is going to affect what happens in this season in ways that are even harder to predict. And that is the break that will occur November, December, somewhere like November 15th, whatever it is to December 25th or something for the world cup. And I mean that not even necessarily JJ because of the injuries that are bound to occur during that tournament. There will be, it's unfortunate, but they're going to happen. Um, and that's just part of the game. For me, it's more than that. It's, it's this unquantifiable part of the world cup occurring during the season of like, there's going to be guys who experience the most incredible emotional roller coaster of their lives. Like we know how intense these tournaments are and what the world cup means. There's no way of knowing how a guy is going to go from having just gone on this kind of dramatic run through the biggest tournament he'll ever play in and then being thrown right back into, you know, we love the Premier League, but there's a midseason malaise that can occur and going right back from from the emotional high of that into the season. I don't know how to quantify emotion, how guys feel coming out of a high like that into regular season play. I don't know how to do it, but I'm telling you right now, there will be players who come back who were flying before the world cup, had great world cups, and they're going to come back and they might be different in some way. Cause they'll just have experienced this incredible professional moment. Uh, and it's going to be hard for them to keep up that level. Uh, so it's going to happen. It's bound to happen. Can't predict it, but I'm just saying that that puts a qualifier over the entire second half of the season for me. Undoubtedly. And, you know, you're going to ask players to compete, like you said, ferociously, and then pretty much go into the fire of a December calendar mm. and play football. And we know what that's like in England. And, and that is going to be a huge culture shock. We've seen players in the just as recently as last season return from international duty and be either in the case of Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw completely thrown out of form or in the case of uh, Mo Salah after his mm-hmm. failure to qualify and failure and failure in the African uh, Cup of Nations, how that may be coincided with his with his uh, second half slump, such as it was. So, yeah, we, we don't know. It's it's a it's a great question, but we yeah. must do a preview anyway. Of course. Of course. I just found it interesting because it's a variable that we're not accustomed to. And I believe it's going to have a big impact on the season in ways that are hard to predict because we haven't and, seen it before. And hopefully it's the only one we ever see. <laughs> You'll love it when it's here. You'll love it. It's going to be by the fire. With you're going to. Oh, you are. You're a freak. What is wrong with you? So many things. Where do we even begin? (laughs) Let's begin with this. Our ten questions now. All right, here we go. Let's just let's dive right in and start from the bottom. Which newly promoted side do you believe finishes the highest this year? You want to go first? Allow me to go first. And uh, people who listen to this podcast know how much I love the traditional powers. Um, a power no longer, but they're back after a long, long time, over 20 years outside of the top flight, Nottingham Forest. So why do I think they'll finish the highest? Let me start with the manager. Um, that's been a huge factor in my decision to pick Forest from amongst the other newly promoted managers. Uh, Marco Silva, Scott Parker at Fulham and Bournemouth respectively. They both have question marks for me as Premier League managers, especially with Silva dropping the beauty the other day that Fulham are not ready. Um, I very much like the cut of Steve Cooper's jib, Andrew. Um, Forrest have had 19 managers since they were last in the Premier League. And I mean, technically, Steve Cooper hasn't even had a full season yet as Nottingham Forest coach. He took, bo- he took over from Chris Hewton uh, last September with Forrest bottom of the championship. The turnaround he has managed has just been exceptional. 
That's not even to mention the job he did at Swansea previously with a playoff semi-final appearance in his first season and a playoff final in his second before he returned to Wembley and finally got the thing done, winning promotion with Forrest. This is a manager on an upward trajectory and he is the kind of coach who you would fancy could do well in his first season in the top flight. The big noise, obviously, has been the signing of Jesse Lingard and we've kind of touched on this a bit before in the podcast. Um, we talked about his wages, 180000 a week, huge amount for a newly promoted side. I'm sceptical about a man whose most successful period in Premier League football was a 16-game loan at West Ham. However good it was, nine goals, 17 uh, created goals or assists. Um, but he needs to repeat that feat across the season. And the question is, can he? And I do, I, I, I'd be concerned about that, but I've, I've gone and looked to people who are on the beat and this is Paul Taylor and Liam Tharme with an emphatic yes um, from The Athletic. And here's why they think so in the wake of Forrest's 1-1 preseason draw with Valencia. Um, so how does Lingard suit Forrest? History, and particularly his time at West Ham, would suggest that the answer should be incredibly well. Hmm. The 32-cap England international thrived in West Ham's mid-to-low block and counter-attack approach in the 2020-21 season. And Forrest shows stylistic similarities They topped the championship last season for direct attacks, 97, which are sequences starting inside a team's own half, involve 50% or more of movements forwards and in a shot or touch in the opposition box. So this seems tailor-made for Lingard. Um, Apart from Lingard, Forrest have made some, well, they've made a raft of signings, which some people think might upset the apple cart, but they had six loan players from last season that they had to move on. They sold a player, Jed Spence, on to Tottenham as well. Um, They've made some other interesting signings uh, Nico Williams won uh, Taiwo Awani from Union Berlin, who had a really circuitous route to the Premier League after originally signing with Liverpool in 2015 as a youngster. He looks like your classic centre forward and maybe the man that Jesse Lingard will have to be picking out in a creative role to score some of the goals. But um, apart from what I'm reading and hearing from everyone else who doesn't think Forrest will survive... I think Forrest are in a good place with a good manager uh, to do it. Yeah, they're really intriguing. Um, a, for, for me, they're intriguing for the, the reason you mentioned with Lingard. I love that signing for them. I think it's, I think it's great. Um, and also because, like, how much does it matter the FA Cup success that they had against Arsenal, Leicester City, um, even Liverpool, they played tough. I mean, they wound up yeah. losing, but they played them pretty tough. Not at all, really, I would say. Not at all? No, because like, I that mean... That doesn't I... give the guys who were there for those things who now come into this league and say, we can do this. Well, well, if if you're a young player like, um, you know, Brennan Johnson, that's going to that, that could mean a lot to him. Um, but it's not going to mean... I mean, the squad's totally different. It's overhauled. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be the same thing. Um, I, I think it might give the manager you know, who's not managed in the top flight, a sense that he can hang with the big boys. But I, I wouldn't read too much into that. Um, yeah, I, I just I just think I, I really like the coach and he, he is the epitome of the modern coach. And I think he's someone who can uh, who can mold this team together. And he has to do it in a short period of time because this is like, you know, I mentioned Awani. <laughs> he's he's got to come in and, and and, you know, finally realize his dream of playing in the Premier League. As I as I said before, but he's got he's got to hit the ground running as well, and I think I think Cooper's shown um, that he can do that. He can mold a team quickly. So 
I am positive about Forrest where others are not. All right. Fair enough. By the way, I think they would have lost Spence anyway, because I think he was on loan from Middlesbrough. So yeah, he was. He, he was. he would have gone back to Borough anyway. Or maybe they would have extended it. Who knows? But it doesn't matter. He's on Tottenham now. Uh, JJ, I went with Fulham. Now, I'll be totally honest. I don't have a great conviction about these, um, but I did go with Fulham. Um, I like that they have a manager with Premier League experience. Uh, I like that they have a player in Alexander Mitrovic who crushed the championship's goal-scoring record a year ago. Um, I like that they've managed to keep Harry Wilson, who assisted on 10 of Mitrovic's 43 goals, so there's some chemistry there between those two. And honestly, I kind of like playing the odds that they're not going to go yo-yo for the third straight trip in the Premier League in the last, Mm. what, five years? (laughs) I feel like that's... I don't know. I'm just going to say that that doesn't happen for a third straight time in such a short window. Um, but we'll see. Like I said, I don't have a ton of conviction on that one. No. Um, and I and I would say that if we know one thing about Mitrovic, great, you know, we know what a quality player he is. You're asking Wilson to come up with 10 assists for him. We don't know what, what he's like at the top level. We only know that Liverpool didn't want to keep him and didn't mm-hmm. really be able to function there. Marco Silva as manager. I mean, that's another question mark there. I mean, his his record is very uneven in the Premier League, to say the least, with Hull and Everton. But yeah. Yeah, but he's somebody that we wondered if Everton would have been better off just never having gotten rid of in the first place. At least I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, Mitrovic is the interesting one because is he, the question for him is, okay, is he just one of these strikers who is, uh, good enough to be a great championship level striker, but not quite good enough to be a, a quality Premier League striker. Like you have a group of those guys who are sort of just sort of like in that think, middle zone. Yeah. And unfortunately for him, he's never played in a good enough side to figure that out in the Premier League. He's always been in a team that's not uh, apart with the, I suppose, with the, ex- not with the exception of Newcastle. He wasn't good. They weren't good enough there either. Fulham haven't been good enough. If you watch him, which I've had the regularly have for, for, um, international duty Andrew he is every bit good enough to be a Premier League striker but he's never been on a good enough team yeah uh, all right next one JJ let's go to this which club who finished outside the top four last season has the best chance of finishing inside the top four this season I should say you and I both nailed this one last year we both said Tottenham and they achieved that so people are going to put a lot of stock in what we say here I'm going to go first with maybe a little bit of a surprise, which is strange to say, given the size of this club. But I'm going to say Manchester United. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's just some potential here for a total fresh start, which is something I, I think they so desperately need. And I'm kind of taking my cues there from the manager. Um, I just like this manager. He was the manager that I wanted Spurs to sign a couple of years ago. I've been so impressed with what he's done at Ajax. I've been impressed with the way he's just completely taken command of this team early on, is not afraid of ruffling feathers. He seems to have a plan, which is something that we've talked about with United that they haven't really had over the last couple managers. Um, I think moving on, just continuing with the idea of a fresh start, I think moving on from Pogba, it's it was the right thing to do. It was the right time for it. Two years ago might have been the right time for it. Um, you know, and going from him to a Christian Eriksen, who reemerged last year with Brentford and showed that he is still very much a star in this league. I think Lissandro Martinez could be a really important signing for them in central defense, an area where they've been plagued in recent seasons. You know, he gives them that thing that they haven't really had at that position. And, you know, I don't even know that I'd call him a depth signing, but he creates depth. I think he'll start for them. But if Harry Maguire is not playing up to the level that Harry Maguire should be playing at, he's out. 
they have a guy who can play that position. And Ten Hag clearly trusts him, brought him over here from Ajax. So it's clearly a guy that he uh, that he has faith in. Uh, Sancho, Martial, they appear, again, you don't want to take too much away from what you see in preseason, but they've been positive so far. And you know that they're good players, especially Sancho. Um, and so you would expect them to click on at some point. I think you could see that this year. Now, look, you know, I, I can gauge your reaction from when I first said Manchester United, and you're obviously skeptical. And that's not, that is not unreasonable. And that is not mm. lost on me that many people will be. There are X factors here that are intriguing to me because I don't know which way they're going to go. Ronaldo is the X factor. If he's selfish, if he's disgruntled, it could get ugly. And Ten Hag will be forced into kind of the un, unenviable position of, of needing to basically tell one of the greatest players of all time, go away, stay home, don't train. That will that could really put a dark cloud over this club. It could cause players to take sides because he's such there's such a gravitational pull from that guy to younger players. And so you don't want that to happen. Or if they are playing well, if they get off to a good start the season, maybe he buys in. If he does, United may wind up with one of the game's best role players at their disposal. If he can just kind of be a guy who's comes in when they need goals and can do that, who knows? Uh, Rashford's an X factor. Last season, huge setback. Was it one bad year? Or was it the beginning of like, what would you say? Like a, like a Deli Alley-esque downturn for what looked like a once promising young career. I don't know. Donnie Vandebeek, huge X factor. This guy was never better than when he was playing under this manager. So I've got to believe that that was a thing that probably came up in Ten Hogg's job interview. I know how to get the most out of a player that you paid over 42 million for. There's still time to salvage this career. He's only 25 years old. Let me show you that I can help this player become the player that you wanted him to be. I I just have to believe that. And so far he's been playing in a more advanced midfield role in preseason. No champions league for them to worry about. They'll be single-minded in their focus. Uh, JJ last year, United only won 16 games, which means they, they lost or drew 22. Of those 22 non-wins, 12 were the teams that finished 10th or lower. That's a large number for me. I'm going to gamble and say that doesn't happen again. Uh, and I think the first steps of the United rebirth occur this season. Okay. That's big. More about United later. So I won't comment too much on the things you've had to say there. Um, my pick for this is Arsenal. Mm. And I have... I'm operating on a few assumptions that I know may not be generally sound, but these are the things that would need to happen. Uh, one, the first thing would be that Arsenal's collapse at the end of last season that saw them lose out on the top four spot was an aberration and won't leak into this new season. They've got to be more consistent they were than they were last season. They can't have these poor runs followed by good stretches followed by a poor run. Can't happen. But if it if if that was something that they can leave behind them, then going forward, I think they'll be good. Two, preseason form of Gabriel Jesus will continue and his goals will fire them forward. Zinchenko will play in midfield. I think he needs to um, and will settle there. I hope that needs to happen. Will Arteta capitalise on uh, William Saliba's excellent loan at Marseille and make him centre-back? Can they get Pepe out and get someone else in? They've a few, maybe they've got a little bit more business to do in this window. That's number two. And number three, that Manchester United won't make significant headway and Chelsea will be in transition. They do need United and Chelsea to fall off. Like that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, look, they finished ahead of United last year. Yeah, I know. And by a significant gap, but like 
they don't need a resurgence there and they need Chelsea to drop out of their position for them to go in. So that's how I see them finishing inside the top four. I think some of that is reasonable. I think some of it's going to be tough and I'm just not sure yet. Boy, where I, they play Zinchenko is so interesting to me. I, I That is interesting to me too, but I, I'm pretty sure he'll be unleashed in midfield unless there's a significant injury to Tierney. I mean, I, honestly, the fact that he can do both, I think you'll see both. I know, but I'm pretty sure he's, he's never really had a chance to be let loose in a midfield on a regular basis at Manchester City. So um, I, I think I think he's going there with the intention of doing that, and the manager intends it too. Interesting. Very interesting. All right, uh, next one. This is one of my favorite ones. Uh, which manager is entering the season on the hottest seat? Uh, I just like that idea of like, I don't know, everyone's feeling good right now, but like, you know, there's guys out there who are just like already stressed out and we haven't even really kicked the ball yet. Uh, you want to go first? Uh, sure. Um, it's because it's the biggest, biggest club in the world, arguably. Uh, Eric Ten Hag, he is on a hot seat. He <laughs> How? Just, oh my God. Come on. Of course he is. First of all, the the first thing he's been handed to deal with is to deal with a disgruntled Ronaldo, a Ronaldo leaving at halftime in a friendly game after playing 45 minutes against Rayo Vallecano. Now, uh, lots of people saying, oh, he had permission to leave at halftime. Really? From the serious disciplinarian that is Eric Ten Hag? I'm not so sure. Ronaldo will continue, and, and as he should, if he feels this way, to agitate for a move, to get away. So he's got to deal with that right into the start of the season. That's if a lot. Pe- if people will take sides. And people no. will, the public will take Ten Hag's side. Okay. I, and, and I, perhaps that's the way it goes this time. Signings. Like right now, he has not got all the signings he wants in. There's still constantly the issue over Frankie de Jong. And are Chelsea going to come in and, and instead of being gazumped, are they going to gazump United to that signing? That could happen. But all we know is that he's got issues at the base of that midfield and probably other places. Now, Rio Ferdinand, who has been wrong about pretty much everything from appointing Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to playing a leading role in getting Ronaldo back into the club. He says there's a good mood around the club. He, he says, don't worry about preseason results. He gets the sense, the noises he hear, he's hearing out of the club are good. I hope he's right for once. Now, I actually, both of us like this manager. I really like this manager. So what's the best thing United could do right now to this new manager, uh, give him what he wants in terms of transfers. Yeah, sure. And um, allow him to run the club in the manner he wishes. Definitely have Alex Ferguson come back to the club. Sorry, what? Sorry, what? So, the, so I call this Fergie's deep state, almost like a shadow government working behind Ten Hag. This was in the Daily Mail. Sir Alex Ferguson is back at Man United. Richard Arnold hands iconic boss and other legendary figures, including Brian Robson, a formal role in helping with all aspects of the club. Sir Alex Ferguson has been appointed to a think tank at Manchester United. He now has more influence at Old Trafford than at any point since his retirement. Hmm. Richard Arnold has appointed the Scot to tap into his wealth of experience. The think tank also consists of Brian Robson, John Murta, and David Gill. It is understood the three men will advise Arnold on a range of issues, which include the redevelopment of Old Trafford and Carrington and the club's relationships with its fans. He goes, the article goes on. It will inevitably involve football matters as well, although they will be careful not to tread on Murta's toes. How about don't tread on Murta's toes and don't tread on Ten Hag's toes 
leave it alone. We said before, they have got to give this man the run of the club. Otherwise, how can they possibly know? I know no manager does what Brian Clough or even does what Jurgen Klopp does these days, which is to come into a club and get his finger in all the pies and get access to everywhere. But United is a club that needs that. It needs that kind of football man to do these things. And Ten Hag, I believe, is the guy. And already they're doing this stuff. Like, it's, it's unbelievable to me. And by the way, guys, there's a great documentary on YouTube about the last iconic manager who couldn't walk away, which was Sir Matt Busby and the way he treated Franco Farrell, the, the United manager in his wake. This, this is scary. And it, it also follows the Liverpool blueprint of the, of the 90s and the early 2000s of not being able to walk away from the past and start anew. Um, lest we forget, United were record-breakingly bad last season and still finished sixth. 23 points off fourth, I hear you cry. Yes, but that doesn't give Ten Hag a pass. That gap has got to be eaten into significantly and this side will still be expected to reel in Tottenham and to reel in Arsenal. And that is pressure, Andrew. I don't care what you say. I mean, look, if you're the if you're the manager at Manchester United, there's always pressure, of course. But to me, the idea of entering the season on the hottest seat means that there's a real world possibility of you losing your job by Christmas. You I don't, don't think, think that, that I don't think that's possible here. You don't, you I don't, don't think, think a first year manager that they oh, that they believe in. Sweet. They Andrew. do. <laughs> I mean, you want to make a little side bet? I'll give you odds. No, I don't think he's, I, I think he's a good manager. I think he's the right manager. But if things don't go the way he wants and the club doesn't facilitate the things he needs, including signings, which is the most urgent thing right now, then, you know, if if it's, if 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 he doesn't get the conditions he needs and the results are bad, he will be out, Andrew. But not that soon. Anyway, all right, fair enough. You make good points, but he's just not going to get fired before New Year's. Um, all right, my answer for this, JJ, I kind of have three names for this one. Um, the first one is Frank Lampard, because oh. I, I just think that if there's even a whiff in the first few months of this season of this being as stressful of an experience as last season was, I think they're going to cut bait and try again. I think what? that they just like, I don't think they have the stomach for another run in like that. And I don't know that it's fair. I mean, they lost Richarlison, and I don't really think they've done very much to make up for that. I mean, okay, James Tarkowski is fine. Like, they they, they made moves that are fine. Uh, but are they, you know, trajectory altering? No, I don't think so. Um, now, the, the caveat to this is that Everton supporters, I think, like Lampard and connected with him during that run to save their their themselves in uh from relegation last year i think that there was like a connection that has formed where the people really do like him so if the fans aren't calling for it then i think that you know that's something that lampard will have in his back pocket but um you know will that support endure through a bad start i don't know maybe fans will start to change their tune if they feel like everton are heading down another dark path like they did last season and i think it's realistic that they do cuz i don't know that they're a lot better than they were last season so that that's my big one the other two that i kind of want to give honorable honorable mentions to although i guess in this case it's kind of dishonorable mentions um cuz this is not a distinction you necessarily want uh jj ralph hasenhuttle very quietly because of Everton kind of being like the club that we were all focused on and because Leeds and their dramatic drop off from one year to the next, uh, you know, those were the two teams that everybody was focused on very quietly Southampton over the last like 
two months of the season were a complete train wreck, a disaster. Uh, so if that starts this season as well, like if, if what they were for the last, I think they, they only won one of their final 12 games. I think they lost nine of their last 12. Uh, they were horrible. If that begins this year too, I think they're going to say, okay, enough. we've seen enough. The sample size is large enough. Now you're gone. Uh, so I think that he's somebody who definitely starts on the hot seat. And then my other honorable mention is Eddie Howe um, for, I guess, reasons that have to do with the next question, which we'll kind of go right into here. And that is, which club do you see making the biggest jump in the table from where they were a year ago? And I'm just going to kind of keep rolling here because Newcastle is my answer to that. Um, and I guess I say this because Eddie Howe, like to combine the two questions here, um, I wonder if Eddie Howe, like if Newcastle wind up not being as good as they were, like I'm buying it, what we saw to end last season from from January 1 on, I'm buying it. I think they were that good. But if they aren't, like then he becomes a victim of his own success. We all saw that and we thought, oh, wow, they're actually good. Uh, and if they're not, this ownership group, we don't know yet if this is like an Abramovich model that they're just going to go through managers because they've got the money. They don't care about paying guys out. Uh, so that would worry me that they just don't have the stomach for it. Uh, so that's why I list him. But ultimately, I think they're going to be good. I believe what I saw a year ago. Uh, I'm in. Uh, they finished 11th. So, uh, you know, this question is who's going to make the biggest jump in the table from where they were a year ago. I acknowledge that it's going to be hard for them to make that big of a jump to shoot up from 11th. Um, but they finished with under 50 points last year, 49. So I think you have to look at points as opposed to where they were on the table. I think it's realistic for them to set their sights on somewhere in like, what do you think? Like the 58 to 60 point range, which would be a nice jump for them. Uh, we got a glimpse of what Bruno Grimaris can do. Their superstar potential there, undoubtedly. Got a glimpse of what Kieran Trippier was in his return to the Premier League. It was a huge success until he got hurt. Dan Burns' emergence was a huge success. And here's here's why I think Newcastle makes the leap. Those guys I mentioned there, JJ, Gamarish started 11 games, only played 17 total. Trippier uh, started five games, only played in six. Dan Byrne started just 16 games. By the way, Callum Wilson, who wasn't new, but uh, one of their best scorers for them, he was hurt for most of last season, started just 16 games, appeared in 18. That right there is a lot of Newcastle's core that didn't play in half of their games last year, and in some cases, not even close to half of their games. And by the way, the signing of Sven Botman from Lille may keep Dan Byrne out of the starting 11 altogether. So they've got depth there now. Uh, from Christmas to the end of the season, JJ, they were fourth in the league. Um, so like I said, I'm I'm buying it. And I'm also factoring in this uh, the idea that the transfer window is still open, and I think they will still be heard from. We've seen rumors of James Madison, but the asking price is a lot right now. They may not be willing to go to that $60 million number that it looks like Lester are asking for, but I think there's still moves that are going to be made from that club. I'm in. I'm in on Newcastle. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I'd, I'd use the phraseology that I'm in on Newcastle, but I agree with you that uh, I, I couldn't pick anyone else on this. Um, I, I, I do think that if the PIF can take their mind off the Live Golf Tournament and handing out $138 million to Phil Nicholson, I mean, you see the Newcastle chairman more regularly with Donald Trump at Bedminster than you see him at St. James's Park right now. And they need to get some signings in. And it's interesting to me that this coincides, uh, this huge investment in golf uh, from the Saudi owners of Newcastle United also um, coincides with them, as we said last week on the podcast, getting a credit line from HSBC 
So it seems as if they want the, the ready cash they're going to pump into the golf and the money down the line that's going to come from their uh, TV rights and et cetera, et cetera. They're going to sell that to HSBC for a credit line. So it's interesting to me. I, I expect them to be very active, um, but they clearly don't want to pay the Newcastle tax. I mean, Brendan Rogers has said that the 40 million that they offered for uh, Madison would only, would only cover like one of his legs or something clever like that. He said, um, so, so clearly there is the Newcastle tax at work, but they, they need to come back from New Jersey and the golf and, um, and focus on on poor old Eddie. Did you see what um what Live Golf offered Tiger Woods reportedly? Uh, between seven hundred and eight hundred million. Just imagine, JJ, how wealthy you have to be to say to 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 be offered that sum of money, nearly a billion dollars, to play golf, and say, nah, pass. Like, yeah, ow. I I applaud I applaud him. Yeah. I actually applaud him. Yeah. Um, considering where the money is coming from. So yeah, it's uh yeah, it, it has been jarring though. You know, I, I like I wasn't joking. I was like, I'm I, I see a picture of the former president on his golf course and I see the guy beside him and I'm like, hang on. I know you. You're a football man, <laughs> allegedly. So yeah, uh interesting to see what happens there. I, they've got to get active though. I do think if they want to keep that momentum going, Andrew, they, they need to get active. And if you were a Newcastle fan. <laughs> who was dressing up as a shake and dancing around St. James's Park. This summer is not what you expected. Maybe, but I still think if, if we were going to power rank the fan bases that are probably feeling most optimistic right now, I would probably put them near in the top five of right. like f- fan bases that are just like loving life at the moment. Hey, look, anything that keeps them from punching horses, I, I, I'm totally behind. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, let's see. All right. Next one, JJ, we're rolling along here. Which player are you most excited about this season? Ooh. Uh, so this is a bit of uh, what they say in the modern world. I don't even know if there is a word called recency, but recency bias is something people say all the time. I watched the highlights of Brendan Aronson's performance for Leeds in their 6-2 win over Cagliari. Preseason friendly or not, he absolutely, to quote the kids, balled out. That's what the kids say, right? They say oh, that. They sure do. Wow, they do. Um, he was brilliant. Um, assisting on three goals, scoring a goal. Uh, the, the pass in particular for Bamford with the outside of his foot was just executed so sublimely. It's, it's hard not to be like pumped for this guy because you think this team is built and set up in in a way that's really going to ben- benefit him. And I know I'm getting really, you know, overly excited about, you know, and he's an American player. I get that, but. Oh, know, don't wa- feel bad about that. There's more of that to come. Oh, I bet there is. Watching him just, just play and be so comfortable. It, it was an exciting and exhilarating to watch was, it was excellent. However, I can't answer this question properly. So let me run through other notable mentions. Mm-hmm. Julian Alvarez, Manchester City. Big talk about him coming from, uh, River Plate, Brennan Johnson mentioned him before. Nottingham Forest, Luis Diaz, Liverpool. <laughs> I'm st- I'm still excited to see what he can what he can continue to bring to the team. Uh, Scamica at West Ham, an Italian centre forward. Uh, West Ham fans must be very excited today. Uh, Mikael Damsgaard announced he's going to move from uh, Sampdoria to Brentford. Um, and my two old men mentions: Is it still okay to be thrilled watching Thiago Alcantara? I watched him at the weekend in the, in the Charity Shield. Some of his passes uh, were, and especially that moment in the bottom left-hand corner of um, 
uh, at Leicester where he mugged off Rodri, just kept the ball off and was just brilliant. Absolutely thrilling to watch. And Ivan Perisic in the Premier League, mm-hmm. a player I've loved um, and mostly watched um, on the international stage. I think he's a big signing too. So, so those are the players that are getting me excited. Uh, let's see. The one I chose, JJ, is from the same club that you chose, as a matter of fact. I went with Patrick Bamford. That's a strange one. Ah, very odd. Two years ago, 17 goals, seven assists. Last year, injuries. Destroyed a season for him. Tried to come back, came back too soon. Ruptured plantar fascia, destroyed. And now he's back. Many of his peers have left, Rafinha, Calvin Phillips. So he may very well now be the face of this team. Um, So I'm just excited to see him back. He was just like such a focal point of what was such a thrilling season for Leeds, his ability to finish and score goals. And I feel like people kind of forgot about him last year. Um, you know, and sure enough, without him, Leeds, this club that was notorious for scoring goals, 62 goals in 2020-21 season, that number dropped to 42 last season without him. A 20-goal a, a drop-off without their center forward. He's clearly important for what they do. I know the managers have changed, but I think Jesse Marsh is still going to be a front-foot manager, and I think... Um, you know, we saw, like you mentioned, the link up between Aronson and Bamford and how pretty that looked. Um, you know, not having a number nine like him that could consistently finish, I think it was, if I were kind of listing the reasons that Leeds struggled the way they did, I mean, it, it's it probably is number one for me. And so him being back now, hopefully being healthy, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to see if he can recapture some of what made him special in 2020. Um so he's uh, he's my choice for that one. Yeah, he's just got to stay fit. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, all right, next one here. How many true title contenders do you see right now? Well, we can zip through this one. Um, it's For me, it's Manchester City, Liverpool, and a possible Tottenham. Oh, my God, we've got literally the same answer, but, even but the like, same what wording. Other, what other answer? Those are the three teams right now at the top end of the table that you, that you have the least question marks about. Yeah, well, I think the one that, yeah, because I said there are two and a half. I said Liverpool and City, and then I said maybe Tottenham. Um, Tottenham. Look, Tottenham is the one. Like, I don't know how much analysis needs to be done of Liverpool and City for this question. I think that they both were the they've been the class of the league for this era. And I even with some players having shuffled out the door, I think reinforcements have come in. I, I don't think you'll see much of a drop off. I think they'll duke it out. It's just a matter of whether or not Tottenham can keep up. Ultimately, I don't think they will. Um, but if anybody was going to, I guess that's, that's kind of why I, I put them in there. I think that maybe they have the best chance. Um, you know, we'll see, like I, with regard to Spurs, I, I have faith in this manager. Um, you know, I believe in what they looked like at the end of last season, son Kane, Kulisevsky up front, Richarlison, what they paid for him. And he's not even a starter for this team. Like that tells you how determined they are to contend that they were willing to pay that kind of money on a guy that is not going to be a regular first team player for them. Um, I did see Eves Basuma. I thought I saw somebody say he picked up a knock and might not be available at the weekend, but you know, other than Bergwijn, who wasn't that important, they didn't really lose anyone. Uh, so they've done the thing that Tottenham fans have wanted them to do for all these years, dating back to Pochettino. When, when they looked like they were a strong team, they never quite took it to the next level in terms of summer transfer activity. They have now, uh, you know, they've made some important moves that have given them depth. So ultimately I, I don't think that 
their title challenge will be serious. But if anybody, if we were going to include any other team to battle City and Liverpool, they would be the one that I would choose. And you yeah. agree. I, I and I agree. I don't think there's much else to be said. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, then, uh, then we won't we won't say anything else. In fact, let's take a break. We're going to sit here during the break quietly. We're <laughs> going to think about the next questions that are still to come. We're going to come back and we're going to give those to you. Still more caught offside. The Premier League preview special part one. Still more to come. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now. Caught offside, JJ. Before we continue, I'd be remiss. If we didn't, I know this is a Premier League special, but I would feel weird and uncomfortable to not mention a congratulations to the England women for their European Championship win over the weekend over Germany in extra time. It was dramatic. It was thrilling. The scenes were amazing in that stadium. It was. Um, it was. I I know you have a certain viewpoint on this that you know, which I understand. Their arrival of yours, you're never going to love seeing England succeed. As a neutral, it was a fun watch, and uh, and congrats to them. They were, I mean, over the course of this tournament, it'd be hard to say that they were not the best team. It felt to me like the best team won. I, I think overall, um, they were by far the best team in the tournament, and they had by far the most cutting edge. And I know they got a massive call that went in their favor in terms of the non-call on the handball in the second half. I mean, that was just huge but it went their way you need a bit of luck as every every manager has ever said look they deserved it and and um and i'm happy for every single one of them i have no qualms or or issues with with those players i think they're they're a likable bunch and i'm i'm happy for them but you see the tsunami of con artists and liars and just the worst people emerge from the body politic of of England to talk about them afterwards. It's really hard to take to uh, to take and to listen to, and and the general just crowing um, like this. There was a picture of two conservative, two female conservative MPs, um, Therese Coffey and Nadine Doris, and they take a picture of themselves at Wembley Stadium holding St George's flag. Right. Mm. And you think, oh, what's wrong with that? Those are two people who have voted against or, you know, voted things against things that would help the LGBTQ plus community. There's seven players from that community on that England side. It's just the hypocrisy of them being there. You know, and and, and look, we all know politicians love to, to jump on, on um, you know, on, on sporting and, and, and national victories. They always do. They always have. That's not just unique to England. But it's pretty hard to take it from the Tories. And, and those are the people who have closed more playing fields and more spaces for young people, women and men, girls and boys to play in. They deserve no credit or no chance to take the reflected light from this victory. But they will and they have in their heart to listen to. What's the, uh, what's the old saying, JJ? Success has a thousand fathers failure is an orphan yeah i think that was was that john f kennedy said that is that right yeah i think so you know you, you know how these things go everybody wants to be associated with a winner also sunshine from sopranos said that before he got shot up by jackie jr hmm. yeah. he said that exact quote yeah all right let's continue now <laughs> best transfer so far like we say there's still time in this window but up to this point what do you think um, for me, it's Nathan Collins to Wolves. 
uh, $25 million from relegated Burnley for 21-year-old centre-back with a really high ceiling uh, to replace Roman Sice. An international starter for Ireland, the youngest captain in Stoke City's history at 18. Great numbers in terms of ball recovery, great defensive numbers, and something that may prove Wolves uh, recoup in the future much more than $25 million, uh, in a sale to a Champions League-level club is his progressive passing stats. It just seems like an absolute bargain for Bruno Lage and anyone who's watched him plays. I mean, if if things go the way that we expect them to go at Wolves, he is not long for a team outside of the, the big six or, or the top four. Hmm. All right. Interesting. That's a good one. Uh, let's see. For this one, I kind of, yeah, I try to go with ones that are both impactful and cheap when talking about the best transfer, getting the well, most I would. Fruit, I, that's most how I money. describe you as a person, impactful and cheap. Oh, yeah. Certainly the latter. Oh, uh, no. That was a joke. Um, so with that, for me, Christian Eriksen, like it doesn't get much more impactful for what we saw from him at Brentford, and it doesn't get much more cheap as he was acquired on a free for Manchester United. Um, you know, I'll, the, the question mark here is this idea that's kind of been bandied about that him and Bruno Fernandez aren't going to be able to play together, that there's, there's too many similarities there that it's not going to work. Um, Eric, Erickson was asked about this. He's spoken about this at length and he, he doesn't see it that way. He insists he can play anywhere and he's willing to play anywhere. Um, and I'll be honest, JJ watching him all those years at Tottenham, that was my experience with Erickson. He thrived in a deep role. He thrived as a number 10. He thrived when he played out wide. Like for me, he was just always this Swiss army knife of a midfielder who was malleable, who was good wherever they put him. Uh, so I see no reason why that can't continue to be the case. And if they want to put him in a more deep lying role, maybe that helps Bruno Fernandez and unlocks him and allows him to be more of the attack threat that made him so successful when he first got to United. So um, I love this. Uh, I think this is a great move. And the fact that it didn't cost Manchester United anything Um I think it can only be a good thing for them. So uh, I'm in. I'm in on the Christian Eriksen move for Manchester United. Feeling no, good I like about it, it too. I like it too. Yeah. Uh, all right. One of my favorites. You introduced this one last year. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, it's. I, I, I don't know if I'm not phrasing it the right way. Cut me off. But I, I kind of have phrased it as the outlandish prediction that we can take back at a later date. Well, I borrowed it from Carol Anka of The Athletic online. And he calls it like bad bad opinion or bad prediction amnesty. Right. So, so it's a, it's a prediction get, that we acknowledge. We don't, we may not feel great about it to the point where we can even take it back later in the season and pretend like it never happened. Yeah. I've got, I've got, uh, I got three. Absolutely. Oh, wow. All right. Well, let me get my one out of the way first. All right. Doozies. Uh, okay. I'm excited for years now. All right. Here's mine, JJ. It finally happens. The Jamie Vardy drop-off that we've all been seemingly waiting for finally occurs. Uh, he's 35, so like it feels like this shouldn't be an outlandish prediction. It feels like it should be reasonable enough. But the reason I call it an outlandish prediction is because there's no there's really no logic behind it. He only started 20 matches last season, and he was subbed on in five others. He still finished with 15 goals, and none of them on penalties. Like he still had a brilliant season last year in limited appearances. His goals per 90 last season was 0.75. That was the highest of his career. Like it, like you could almost look at that and say, wait a minute, is he actually still getting better? Um, his XG was only 9.5, which means he outperformed that number in a pretty significant way. So I'm looking at that. I just, 
sometimes these predictions, JJ, they're not necessarily based in logic. I just think it's time. I'm saying it. He's finishing with single-digit goals this season. So there it is. That's my outlandish prediction that I'm allowed to revisit and take back, should I choose to, at a later date. The best thing for you to do now is to put this prediction on an Instagram story and block everyone except Jamie Vardy from seeing it (laughs) and see what happens. By the way, I'm just uh, reading online at a quick Google. Uh, Apparently, uh, Chelsea and Manchester United are monitoring Jamie Vardy's situation at Leicester. Well, clearly they don't believe what I believe. (laughs) Okay. um, After that, just complete act of ageism from you, I shall... uh, I shall pipe up with my one. So uh, the first one is pretty mundane. Uh, if I do believe Chelsea might be in a transitional period, Chelsea finished sixth mm. or or possibly outside. The next one, it starts to get juicy. Steven Gerrard sacked just after the World Cup return. So how is he not your manager on the hottest seat? Oh, no, I just, uh, I think there's, there's generally, I feel more leeway for him than there would be for Ten Hag. Actually, I don't know. Well, not Maybe according to this prediction. Maybe I've got this wrong. Uh, Steven Gerrard sacked just after the World Cup return. And here's, here's, here's my other one. Ronaldo plays in the United Reserve team and is assisted by Tom Huddleston. Yeah, I saw that he was appointed. So, so I, I, uh, you know, it's easy to make fun of United over the past couple of seasons, but one really cool and innovative thing that they've been doing was they had uh, Paul McShane, who as a youth player was at United, they had him come back as a coach but instead of having him just do coaching, they inserted him into the uh, into the into the reserve team to play and to coach from within the team. So kind of as like he played five games for the under twenty threes last season as an overage player. So uh, Tom Huddleston has taken over for him, although they've said he's not going to play as much as Paul McShane. But I would love a Ronaldo meltdown with Ten Hag, nowhere to go, ends up playing in the reserves, and who plays him in for a goal? Tom Huddleston. Boy, Huddleston had a rocket for a leg. Oh my yeah. God. Some but of the goals a, he scored. He was some player. Up until yeah. recently, he was a you know, he was at Hull in the championship. He was he was a very technical player. Boy, the the um to go back for a sec, the Gerard one. That's an yeah. interesting one. Villa, you and I we've kind of been talking about the dynamic of the league this year. Um, and we've sort of like in our minds, we've kind of grouped the Premier League into like different tiers. Yeah. You know, like Strata. Liverpool, and, Liverpool, yeah, like Liverpool and City are kind of in this tier unto themselves. Uh, then it sort of feels like maybe Tottenham and Chelsea are kind of in the next tier. Then there's this, uh, probably Arsenal and United are in the next tier. Then you kind of have like West Ham, Newcastle. Maybe you want to put Leicester and Wolves in there. And then there's this mush of clubs until you get to the relegation candidates. Villa is the one that I'm curious. Can they? Like I've been wondering if maybe they could break into the West Ham, Wolves, Leicester tier. I, I I'm, think cu- I'm curious about them. I think that would be the expectation of Steven Gerrard. It would be the expectation of the club, considering the funds that have been put into the club over the past three years. I actually think that's where they need to be this season. And if they finish in or around where they did last season, which is a distinct possibility in my eyes, um, questions will be asked, definitely. I'm ashamed to say this. We do this for a living, so I take no pride in admitting things that are somewhat embarrassing. But like when I've been starting to go back through my previews, I had a moment of like, oh, my God, that's right. Coutinho's on Villa. Like <laughs> I was right. like, I, I was like, yeah, that's right. I'm 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 really curious about them this season. I don't know. I, I think they 
I think their expectations are to to enter that top half zone. Yeah. In or around the Wolves and the West Hams. Yeah, I think so too. Um, all right. Uh, we move on. Next one, JJ. Which player needs to have a big season? Uh, can I do this? I'm going to read you a quote and you got to tell me who said this. Mm, love it. 2021-22 was not a season on which I shall look back with undiluted pleasure. In the words of one of my more sympathetic correspondents, it has turned out to be an Anis Horribilis. Who said that? Okay, so I'm trying to think of players who would have felt that way about their season. Rashford? Uh, you're in the right club. Maguire? Maguire. Ding, oh, ding, 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 ding. Took me two guesses. Yeah. Now, All Maguire right. obviously did not say that. It was the Queen of England in 1992 after a bunch of her, her uh, offspring had divorces and her house burned down. But uh, I can imagine Harry Maguire having similar sen- uh, sentiments, if not maybe using the term Anis Horribilis. But you can't say that last season wasn't an Anis Horribilis for Harry Maguire. Before we talk about the football, though, um, a study came out today that said the study conducted by the Alan Turing Institute in association with Ofcom, which is a, a, a media watchdog in England, uh, in the first half of last season found that Ronaldo received 12,520 abusive tweets in that time, while Harry Maguire received 8,954, nearly 6,400 more than the next player on the list, Marcus Rashford. And you think of uh, how Rashford's being cast as a political figure, goes to show you how much abuse uh, Harry Maguire was getting, that he topped Marcus Rashford's number. Yeah. Um, but back to the football. Real Maguire- quick. Can we, well, yeah, go back to what you were saying, because I have more on that study. Okay. Maguire threw a dip in, in personal form, an injury, and playing in a poor side endured a season that now puts his England starting place at risk. And should it continue, possibly his stay at Manchester United. He's not that bad of a player, but he needs a course correction badly. Solskjaer rushing him back from injury for a game uh, in the early part of last season away at Leicester. I think it was a 4-2 or 4-3. 4-2, I think it was. Um, and he made a few mistakes um, and you could put that down for the, the start of his bad form. Um, and it's true. The players in front of him need to be better too. The two sit midfielders, the whole United team needs to be better, but the captain needs to step up too. And it's um, going into a world cup uh, in the middle of the season. This is, this is huge for Harry Maguire. He has to have a big season. Absolutely. It, it feels like his career is at a, at a, like a, a juncture. Like a, a significant fork in the road moment. Um, real quick, before I give mine, that study that you just referenced, I th- I found it fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's troubling in some ways to like see the sheer number of venomous tweets that are thrown at individuals, um, people that you don't even know. Like Harry Maguire might be the best guy ever, <laughs> but like the venom. But what I found interesting about it, JJ, so that was the individual players. Did you see which club overall were, had the most like players on the on the whole receiving abusive tweets? Manchester United. No, I was, was it sure not? it would be them. Oh, Tottenham. <laughs> Tottenham topped it. The so that's only a, I, Tottenham getting abuse from their own fans plus Arsenal. No, no, fans. <laughs> I don't think it's their own fans. I think so. There was another study. I'd have to go back and find it, and I apologize if I get it slightly wrong, but. The basic gist of what I'm about to say holds up. So there was a study about every, they went through the fan bases and they basically polled fans from every team to list which team they hated the most. 
And Tottenham were, I think, the only team that were mentioned, I think, four different times. They were, I believe they were Chelsea's most hated team. They were Arsenal's most hated team. They were West Ham's. They were West Ham's. And I think they were Leicester City fans' most hated team, which is a weird thing that I've always found. And it it was interesting to me that this study actually backed it up, where I felt like Leicester City has this weird hate for them. So that's the only thing I can think of, is that for whatever reason, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's... I I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. Um, They're not a club that experiences a ton of success. Like I don't know why they would be this team that everyone hates, but these are now multiple studies that I've seen that sort of back it up, that they are just... A lot of people hate them. I don't get it. I don't get it. I clearly don't fall into that category. Uh, let's see. The player that I think needs to have a big season. This is kind of a weird answer, but bear with me. I said Mason Mount. And here's why I say that. I genuinely feel that he can be one of the best players in the league. Team of the season stuff. Short list for best player of the season type stuff. Um, the question for me is this. He's only 23 years old. He's still so young. He's not the finished product yet. So what is the next element of his game that we're going to see emerge? What do Chelsea need right now? They need goals. They need reliable goal scoring. Can he develop that part of his game who has the, you know, a, a, a pseudo midfielder attacker? Maybe he plays up front. Maybe he's more in the midfield, but can he score goals from those positions? He's, you know, he scored 11 last season and had 10 assists. So, like, he was very good last year, player of the season for them. Um, can he get that goal number up to maybe 15? I think it's reasonable. I think he's good enough. And the reason I say he's a player that needs to have a big season is because, I mean, JJ, we see it. We feel it. People are down on that club right now, whether it be their whiffs in the transfer window, um, whether it be last season just generally being a disappointment. If they are actually going to outdo what their expectations are from both their own fans and people at large, I think he's going to have to be a guy who goes and jumps up a level who goes into that next category among literally the best players in the league. He's close. He's not far off. If Chelsea are going to be really good and they're going to contend the way that we said earlier, Tottenham might, it'll have to be because of him and because he levels up. So that's, that's why I think he needs to have a big season for them. Um, All right. Last but not least, I'm so excited about this one. The question is, what are you personally most excited for this season. You want to go first? Yeah, you're you're gonna hit mine because oh great. You just are because it's not it's it's it is you ask personally and, and from a personal standpoint, I just love the idea of watching the games, uh, you know, say a big Sunday game or or a great a great bunch of Saturday games and thinking about the chance that we get to come into the studio and talk about them afterwards. Like Why that would is I hate this, you weirdo. No, well, I thought I thought you would hate it because uh, you you'd want something specific, and you know this is more vibes. You know, uh, I I just I I'm do a love huge that. vibes guy. Uh, <laughs> I love that, and 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 the thing about it is um, that this league infuriates us. It's it's got gotten so big, almost a monstrous proportions that it it dwarfs every other league to such a an extent that you're like, is this even real football anymore? I mean, what are we watching here? But uh, I just enjoy coming in to the studio and, and talking about all the things that are going on and interacting with the listeners and just getting excited about recording podcasts of, about football and not just this league, but, but football in general and the start of the season that, that gets me excited. Oh, I love it. You want to get excited? 
go back to our Devonlings episode and listen to the last 22 minutes or so of the recording that we did of ourselves while watching the last game of the season. Like it's, <laughs> it's raw. It's pure emotion. I can't wait to feel that stuff again. It's going to be great. Mm. No, I totally agree. Oh. Um, I went in a different direction, however, much more methodical, mechanical. Oh, exactly. Uh, no, no, no. Mine is actually vibes too. JJ, I am most excited about the American invasion that has taken this league by storm. Oh, you sound like a 1960s uh, TV guy who's about to just tell us about the British invasion. It's Americans have come to England. Oh, look, here comes Brendan Aronson. Doesn't he have a jaunty haircut? It's a beautiful marriage of my two favorite things. Lots of members of the U.S. men's national team joining up with my favorite league in the world. Aronson and Adams at Leeds, not to mention the manager, Pulisic at Chelsea, Ream and Robinson at Fulham, Matt Turner at Arsenal, Chris Richards at Crystal Palace. Technically, Matt Miazga is at Chelsea, <laughs> Stop. but, but he's, he's been transfer listed and will almost assuredly not be at the club this season. <laughs> I don't company. even think they gave him a number when I saw the squad numbers that were given out. I, I, thought, I don't think they gave Miazga one, um, but at time of recording. Of those, I know you talked about Aronson earlier, and that was a great shout by you. I'm, I can't wait for the season. I have such high hopes for him. Um, I think both him and Adams are going to do great things at Leeds. I really have a good feeling about that. Um, you know, Pulisic is obviously a curious one. We just, we still don't know how he fits in exactly, how many minutes he'll see. Um, that one is, he's probably the biggest wild card on this list. Um, you know, obviously Anthony Robinson is somebody that, that like you and I really gravitated towards over the course of world cup qualifying. We need um, him to have a good half season. Uh, yeah. I'm really season. excited. I'm excited. I think he'll, I think he will thrive in this league. Uh, you know, his speed recovery ability, um, attacking ability. I think he, I think he can be a very good fullback in this league. The one that I'm most interested in though, is Chris Richards. Partially because of, I mean, look, all of these are based on the World Cup, but that hole at center back in the U.S. men's national team going into the World Cup with the Miles uh, Miles Robinson injury, you know, in the last tune-ups and Nations League games, we saw a lot of Aaron Long. I think Walker Zimmerman is penned in right now. I don't even think it's pencil. I think you put his name on the team sheet. He'll be starting. I don't, I'm not sold on Aaron Long. I'm just not. I know. This is a chance for Chris Richards coming into this league. It's high profile. Uh, there will be a lot. There will be microscopes on him. Um, but the thing that's curious to me about it is, okay, he's gone to Palace. We all like this move. There's no guarantee of him getting minutes, at least not right away. Not the kind of minutes that he might need to convince Bearhalter that he should be a starting member of the U.S. men for the World Cup. Mark Gahey emerged last year in a big way for Crystal Palace. He's starting. And then I think next to him, it's still Joachim Anderson. I think that'll be the pairing. So will Richards get the chance to prove that he should be starting for the U.S. men? I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm fascinated by it because um, I think Richards is a good player. And just because, like I said, I think there's a spot to be earned with the U.S., um, starting, I just don't know if I'll get the chance to earn it. Um, Cameron Meyer did a, a write up on this for um, Backheeled, where he kind of went through a lot of the American players who have gone to um, European leagues. Um, 
some of the stuff he said about Richards, he said Richards is coming into a club as a depth option at center back in a back four or as a potential starter in a back three if Vieira decides to tinker with his team's shape. As the games go by, Richards will have the chance to prove himself and try to worm his way into Vieira's starting lineup. He's going to have to earn it. Um, and I hope he does because I want to get a good representation of of who it should be that's starting us alongside Walker's in for the World Cup. And if Richards can't play or if he's not playing, he's not going to have the chance to prove that it should be him. So uh, I like the move for him to go into the, the Premier League and challenge himself. But I there's no guarantee right now that it's going to pay off in terms of this specific upcoming World Cup. We but I can't just... wait. I mean, there's so many with these guys all like with the, all these American players, JJ, spread out around the um the Premier League, like, you know, I feel like American fans are going to have a lot of games that maybe they wouldn't necessarily be locked into that now will become of interest to them. Uh, and that's fun. I, I think that's a, a fun thing for, um, you know, to have like a lot of, you know, we all have our favorite team, but then a lot of us are going to have kind of our second team will just be, okay, well, Leeds are on now. I want to watch that. Oh, Fulham. I want to watch that. Like I'm, I'm excited for it. It's a good thing. No, I, I think we should call this podcast No Guarantees because with the with the you know, just you talking about the American players and, and how we're excited, but there's lots of questions with the transfer window still open. There's just so many questions. We are this was very much a all these all these preview podcasts are just such guesswork. It's no, incredible. no, no. They mean everything. <laughs> they mean absolutely everything. Um, I, I think I'm going to probably wind up calling this EPL season preview part one, to be honest. I'm probably safer. Yeah. yeah. I'm so excited to talk to Peter Drury oh tomorrow. Oh my God, right? A legend. God. A legend. I have so many questions. Not even like Premier League questions, like broadcasting questions. Oh, I have I have so many broadcasting questions. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I hope people like that. <laughs> Is this just for us? Like, are we just interviewing him? Like, uh, not even as though people are They listening? better get used to it. This interview is all about us. <laughs> well, the rest of that podcast is all about you. Like we said, start sending in your mail now. Tweets, Instagram, uh, email, at um, COSoccerPod on Twitter, CaughtOffSidePod at gmail.com, and ESPN on Instagram. Because, uh, like we said, you're going to help shape the things that we talk about in that podcast. And then We've we'll already got some and, great ones. We need some more. Oh, oh, you're starting to see them. Starting to see him already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've already had a pitch question. Love it. Oh, yeah. I thought that for sure would be the thing you're most excited about this season. Like, I no, thought you were going to tell me, like, oh, some club. I don't know if you heard, but, like, West Ham got a new groundskeeper, and the things he's doing, it's so innovative. I thought that I thought we'd be getting something like that. I, I don't talk like that. Um, but I'm also excited about the new football and the way it's going to move, the way it look when it hits the net. That That's important, too. Okay. Um, and, and also the patterns on the grass, the cut of the grass, the way they're there doing that. Go. Yeah, all that yeah. stuff. Very, yeah. very exciting. Oh, please leave us a five star review on iTunes. We need to start getting more of those in. We've uh, we've been slacking off on that, on asking you to do that. So please, five star reviews on iTunes um, and Spotify. And- and Spotify. And Spotify is the easiest. You just mm-hmm. go and you, you hit five stars and that's it. You don't have to say anything. Yeah, it's just that simple. Hey, this was fun. I feel, I know we said this was early. We're never ready, but I'm starting to feel pretty ready, to be honest. Starting to feel excited about it. It starts this weekend. Oh, I love it. We'll be back later in this week with part two. This was a joy, my friend. To you, I say... Check it later, fun bye. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 